Greetings and welcome to A Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I am so excited to welcome you back to basically the original format of our podcast that we started many months ago and got totally sidelined by a little something called freaking coronavirus. <laughs> uh, like a lot of things in life, uh, we had to make adjustments and kind of figure things out on the fly. And we did, and we still are. But for now, we're back to kind of doing podcasts how we did when uh, the church was first getting started. And so what that means is it's me doing a little intro and talking about nonsense for a while. And then Hannah is going to jump in with a sermon. And if you want to jump straight ahead to where she talks, just go to 802. But if you'd like to know what's up with different church and you want to hear me talk about nonsense, uh, just keep listening. So what's up with different church? Great question. Not a ton. Uh, we <clears throat> want to be doing, you know, service projects every month and doing small groups and getting together. But obviously so much of that is just on hold and definitely until, until who knows when. Uh, we're just kind of figuring out how to navigate the world these days. And what we decided is um, we actually jumped back to doing in-person services. The message that you're going to hear in a little bit is our second time back in person. And I know the decision to jump back to doing in-person is a hard decision to make for for every church or for any body of people that's, that's meeting together. And I don't think that there's like a blanket decision that everyone should make. Um, you got to come out and do what's right for you. Uh, there's a pastor that we like a lot. His name's Andy Stanley. Um, he's one of like the few kind of mega church pastors who we think hasn't totally lost his stinking mind. <laughs> and he just came out and said, Hey guys, just we're not going to have church again until 2021 at least. And I think that's totally the right move for him because his church is crazy big and full of people and there's no way to meet safely and socially distance. A couple of churches in the area that we're friendly with, they came out and said the same thing. And I think that they all made the right decision. Um, somebody like us, we're brand new. We're still really tiny. Our building will hold about 200 people. And, you know, our first week back, I think we had 30. And so that's plenty of room for us to kind of stay away from each other. Uh, we're doing thermometers at the door. Everybody's wearing masks the whole time. We're not serving coffee or anything. So I know some of you uh, are probably still just going to want to stay home, and that's totally cool. That's why we're trying to figure out the best way to live stream on Sunday and to get the podcast uh, up and rolling again. Uh, but for those of you who do feel like you want to come out and be in the same room as people, hey, we're there. Um, services at 1030 every Sunday now. Uh, I know it's been really nice for me to be in person because it's just so hard to carve out the time to participate in church online for me. Uh, I have a three-year-old, and if he's awake, he is demanding my attention like 24-7. Um, so trying to sit down and watch church at 1030 on live stream if he's in the room, it's, it's just not going to happen. So me being able to actually sit and listen to Hannah and, oh, man, it's been so cool to have the band back together. Um, so it's it's been really nice. I, I'm, I'm really happy to be meeting again. And if you feel like being in the same room with us, 
come on out. We'd love to have it. Uh, a couple other things I just want to tell you about. Um, another way that we're looking to kind of try and create community and togetherness during this time, we're going to start something new. We're going to start a book club. Uh, kind of a friend of the church. Uh, his name is Kevin Makins. He wrote a book called Why Would Anybody Go to Church? It's, I feel so bad for him. He wrote it and then did the whole like promo process and release, like literally as the church was shutting down. So he's got this book that's asking the question, why would anybody go to church? And of course the answer is they wouldn't because they can't because we're not allowed. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I haven't read it yet. I'm looking very much forward to reading it. And we're going to read it together. If you are interested in reading it with us, we would love to have you. We're going to try and do this in a format that is like very easy entry. It's not going to take a ton of your headspace. All we're going to do is read a chapter of book. I say we're going to read a chapter of book, but I haven't even looked at it to know if it's broken up into like, I don't know, a million tiny, tiny chapters or long. Anyway, we're probably going to read a chapter of book a week. If it's not a chapter a week, it's uh, it'll be something something similar. Um, and then we're gonna make a Facebook group, and on the Facebook group, we will come up with some sort of like discussion questions, and you can jump in and just interact with those questions. You know, whenever you feel like it. We're not gonna do like an in-person meeting. Uh, there's not gonna be a Zoom meeting. It's gonna be very chill. Uh, we'll all just be reading it together and discussing the questions on Facebook. So we'd love to have you join. Uh, hit us up on social media if you're interested. Um, it's Diff Church at uh, on Instagram and Facebook.com slash Diff Church. Or even better, shoot us an email, hello at DiffChurch.com, and we would love to read some books with you. Um, that's pretty much it. I, I, I feel like I should also uh, talk a little bit about our Revelation podcast. Hannah and I had been doing that pretty consistently for several weeks. And it was kind of in the the middle of um, the lockdown whenever we were really rolling. And then things started to kind of open back up and we're just not really finding the bandwidth to do it right now. Um, so, so sorry if you've been looking forward to that and haven't heard it. We're, we're going to jump back in. Um, the way things are with family and work, and we just don't have the time to put into it that we want to. Uh, you may or may not know, um, different church, we don't pay any staff. So um, none of us are paid, which means we all have jobs during the week. So all of the stuff that we do for church is done in like, you know, our spare time, or if we can carve out some prime time every now and then. I, I can do that because I freelance, but uh, Hannah works, you know, like eight to five Monday through Friday. So as you can imagine, there's not a whole lot of extra time on top of her coming up with her sermons and like talking to people and stuff. Uh, but anyway, as soon as we are able to find the time, we're going to jump back into that. Uh, we're looking very much forward to uh, doing it again because we we really love it. And we, we had some pretty good, consistent numbers listening. So once we jump back in, hopefully uh, you'll jump back in with us. Okay, I think that's it. No more announcements or anything. Thank you for listening so much. Um, this is the second sermon of Hannah's since we've been open in person. I'm really proud of her. I said sermon, but it's really kind of not a sermon. Y you'll hear her explain herself at the beginning. I, I won't I won't say too much more. Anyway, here's Hannah. That was fabulous. 
fabulous. Um, I, I know I say this to you, Gianna, all the time, but I love your voice. I feel like we are so privileged, like beyond privileged to even hear you on a Sunday, that you are here. Like every time you sing, I'm just in the back like, yes, yes, please. Um, before we start, I do want to take a moment to, for us all to have a moment of silence and remember Representative John Lewis who passed away on Friday. Um, he was, I, I don't feel like saying he was a pillar in the amount of change that has taken place, which is certainly not enough change, but without him, who knows where we would be in the freedoms and equality and basic human recognition um, that black people and people of color in general struggle with in our country. So let's take a moment of silence and remember him in his 40 years of amazing work. For participating in that. A couple of important, very important announcements. Everyone knows, or you should know if you have been around, um, that you should go to diff.church, which is the best way to get in touch with us and fill out the connection card. If you don't, if you're not on our email list, you need to be on our email list, not so we can spam you with wonderful things, but so that we can tell you if something is going to change. Because <laughs> obviously we are meeting, we were meeting online before, we're meeting in person now. Um, this situation could change week by week. So we want you to be as informed as possible. We don't want you to show up if something happens and we have to move back online, all of that. So it's a good way to get in touch with what we're doing. You can also sign up to volunteer. We have an amazing tech team that you can volunteer on. We have a kids ministry, um, and we have, obviously, people checking temperatures on the way in. So if you want to be the person with the power and point a tiny little thermometer at someone and say, no, you can't come in, then you can have that power. I'll give it to you happily. And then, of course, you can also give there. And I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who has supported us through, from the beginning and through this crazy time. We... I mean, nobody expected this to happen, right? But we certainly weren't like, let's launch a church. And then we were like, well, let's go online immediately. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. Now, I'm going to try this sitting down thing today. I don't know if it's going to work because I've had caffeine by accident. I ordered what I used to order. Um, if you don't know, I'm growing a human. And so I'm trying to lay off the caffeine. But I ordered what I used to order, and it has some caffeine in it. So now I feel like I'm exploding. <laughs> which is good for you because it means I'm so happy and not tired at all. But we are going to talk about mental health today, which is one of my favorite subjects of all time to talk about. And I have had requests from many people to please talk about this subject, so we're going to talk about it. I have some notes, but this is going to be more like a chat and less like a sermon. Although, y'all know I can get a little fired up, so I might get a little preachy in the middle. You're just going to have to bear with me. But this is just gonna be me talking to you, okay? And being authentic and transparent and honest. I'm gonna warn you up front, I do not have a Bible verse to put up on the screen today. I know this may make you very uncomfortable. We have never had a service where we haven't talked about the Bible. Um, just so you know, God is bigger than the Bible. We are very lucky and blessed to have a sacred text like we do that we can turn to and study from. And I take that very seriously. Um, but right now, I just kinda of wanna have a talk with you. Is that okay? Cool. Now, why should we even talk about mental health? 
or who cares? Well, first of all, because mental health affects literally every person in some form or another, some people have great big struggles with it, some people have smaller struggles with it, but it will affect us at some point in our lives, every single person. And I'm gonna start talking about me first, and then we'll talk about why you should care. I think we're actually really lucky that it's 2020 for mental health purposes. Okay, not in general. I don't think we're in general lucky that it's 2020. But we finally have language to speak about things that are affecting us that we did not have before. And what I mean by that is I am quite often open and honest about the fact that I deal with anxiety and I dealt with that when I was a teenager. Like I would say it probably, maybe it started before, I don't know. My memory doesn't go back that far. But definitely when I was a teenager, I remember feeling like panicky and overwhelmed. I remember feeling like kind of out of control and I had no language to describe what was happening. I just felt crazy. And I mean, I had some like parts where I was like really super depressed. Pretty sure that one was hormones. Um, but like in general, like even through college, I would have these periods where I just like felt like the world was spinning out of control and I didn't know what to do. And I was like, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to. Like I'm going to class, I'm doing my Bible devotions, I'm connecting with my family, I have friends, like I'm not doing anything to make myself feel this way other than maybe putting a little too much pressure on myself on grades. But like other than that, I didn't have any specific reason why I should feel the need to feel panicky about something. And the thing about anxiety is people will be like, what's wrong? And you can't be like, it's this thing. you be like, but it's everything. Everything is wrong. No one believes you when you say everything is wrong. Um, they're like, you're exaggerating. Calm down. And I didn't know, I had no language, to, I had no idea it was anxiety. I just felt nuts. And I got really good at like talking myself off a ledge <laughs> and keeping the lid on the crazy. Like, if I felt that way, it was all internal dialogue all the time. I'd be like, okay, do you really feel this way? Maybe you need to take a step back. Let's evaluate what's, happened, what's making you feel this way. Maybe you need to go like have a cry in the bathroom where no one can see you and it'll be fine and then don't let other people see that you're nuts because they're not gonna be able to handle it. And like, this was like a constant cycle in my head. And so after I graduated college, I finally discovered <laughs> mental health and I started reading books and like, following Instagram accounts, and I was like, oh, oh, there's a word for this. And it feels like my mom, I feel like, sometimes deals with this as well, and she always described it like you stick your finger in an electric socket a little bit, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's anxiety. <laughs> Other people have this problem? Other people have dealt with this before? And so I started like really researching it. And I would say for like the last six years-ish, I have been really interested in mental health. And I had built like an entire list of things to do when I felt overwhelmed or out of control. Like I had all my coping mechanisms. Top on the list, take a nap. Sleep always helps, right? That's like the human version of turning it off and on again. So that would help me. I, you'll notice sometimes I always carry yarn around with me. I like to knit and crochet and I like it, but also it helps me manage my anxiety because it's a repetitive, motion that turns off the part of my brain that's like, we should obsess about this for three hours. So I had this whole list of things. And for the most part, it worked pretty well. Like, I could be on an emotional roller coaster sometimes, but I'd be like, okay, I know what to do. These are the things. 
Maybe I'll have a bad day. I'll get back on track. It'll be totally fine. Well, then, this is why I say mental health. It will affect everyone at some point in their life. At some point, you are going to run into a situation where your coping mechanisms just don't cut it anymore. It could be grief. It could be trauma. It could be a sudden shift in your life, just a massive change that maybe isn't even negative. And all the things that you do before and all the things that you had planned to kind of protect yourself and support yourself, they just aren't producing the same results anymore. So I know 2020 is like a terrible year for a lot of people. I would say 2019 was like the worst year of my life. And I don't say that lightly. So at the end of 2018, we, I found out that I was pregnant. And we had been trying for like a year and a half. So I was like, yes, this is the most amazing thing. Like, this is what I want. And I had like a week of happiness. And then something went terribly wrong. And we ended up in the hospital. It was like a couple days before Christmas. And they were basically like, we don't really know what's happening, but we think you're having a miscarriage. Now, I feel like if it had stopped there, maybe 2019 would have turned out differently but you have follow-up doctor's appointments, et cetera. And so on New Year's Day, I had been to the doctor like three times, they were taking blood, they were measuring levels of stuff, whatever they were measuring, they wanted it to go down. And on New Year's Day, we rang in the New Year, well, the way I like to do, stuffing my face with delicious food. So we went to Dats in Tampa. I had, I don't know what, but I literally ate so much I couldn't even breathe. And then I was home, and I remember I was sitting at the kitchen table, sewing, and I got a phone call. I like missed a call from my doctor. And it ha then I got this voicemail. And the voicemail wasn't one of those like, hey, just wanted to give you some results, call me back. It was like, hey, you should call us like right away. And I was like, huh. well, that's not comforting. So I called back and they're like, you should go to the hospital right now. And I was like, right now? Like this minute, it's New Year's Day. Can't, can't you just wait till tomorrow and I'll just come into the office tomorrow? The hospital is going to be like a really big... <laughs> Don't you know that it's January 1st and I have a new insurance deductible? <laughs> like, d what do you mean right now? And she's like, right now, you get in your car and you go to the hospital. And I was like... <laughs> she's like, Some, one of us will meet you there. We're going to call ahead and let them know that you're coming. So obviously, that was probably the most terrifying news I've ever had in my life. Like... <laughs> They don't tell you that unless something's seriously wrong. Luckily, I had enough foresight to like change into comfy clothes, pack some snacks, <laughs> pack something to do. Even though I didn't do anything, we just ended up watching like, what did we watch like? Um, I can't think of the network that has like Adult Swim on it. That was the only thing on the TV in the ER. And we were watching Daria. And I was like, how is this still on? Like, I remember not being allowed to watch this as a teenager. <laughs> and now I'm 30 and Daria is on the TV in the hospital, and I don't know what to do with myself. So, whole annoying process. Eventually, they figure out what's happening is I'm having an atopic pregnancy. Now, what that means, if you don't know, is that you are pregnant somewhere outside of your uterus, which can kill you, and the pregnancy will not survive. So, they found it eventually after they were like, well, I think we're gonna keep you overnight. We're gonna have to do surgery on you. And I was just sitting there like, 
Like, I've never been admitted to the hospital that I know of. Like, I've never had surgery in my life. Like, I don't know how to do any of this. Somebody please. And I just remember, like, crying, and my husband was there, and he is a saint. I don't, like, he's the best person in the world. But I was losing my mind. Eventually, a doctor from my office showed up, and she was like, no, we're not having surgery. You're not staying overnight. This is what we're doing. We're going to give you a shot, see if that works to dissolve. So essentially, they gave me a shot of chemo, which, if you don't know, they give you that in your butt. I don't feel like I've had one of those since I was this big. She was like, okay, we're going to give you a shot. And I was like, okay. And she was like, no. And I was like, what do you mean no? She's like, roll over. Like, no. I, don't you see this is bad enough? Like, I do not want you to stick a needle. Okay, so I got that. She's like, don't worry, it'll work. 85% of the time, it's going to dissolve fast-growing cells. You'll be fine. Well... <laughs> I feel like this is like the Hunger Games. So it didn't work. So I had to get another shot, which thankfully did work. So essentially I had like two doses of a chemo drug, which I, if you are a person or you know someone who has been through rounds of chemo, I do not know how you do it. Like one, two shots of that like laid me out. And they were, we were on, I was on restriction for like, it went from January till April before I was allowed to do anything. So it was essentially like being on bed rest without, I could go to work, but I couldn't lift anything. She was like, don't do anything strenuous. Don't get your heart rate up. Don't lift anything. Just don't move if you can help it because it's right here in your tube. And if it bursts, it's right next to an artery, which will cause the artery to burst and then you'll just bleed out and die unless you get to the hospital in time. And so I literally, for four months, this process went on. And every week, I had to go to the doctor and get my blood drawn and get all these tests done. And it got to the point where like, they couldn't stick a needle in my arm anymore because it was so green and yellow. And they had to stick, take blood out of my hand. And I just remember the whole time being like, how is, how is this my life? Like, this is not what I wanted. And finally, it everything got resolved in April, and I was kind of able to go back to normal life. But at the same time, there was a crazy job situation where for weeks on end, I did not know if I was going to have a job or not. So on top of having like a traumatic experience of losing something that I desperately wanted, which was a baby, and I know everyone has opinions about when that starts. However, like to me, it was a baby. Like I wanted it. And so there was the loss of that. And by the way, if you don't know, the statistic is one out of four or one out of five pregnancies end in a miscarriage. So I guarantee you that you know someone who has been through something like this. It may not be exactly this, but it will be something like this. And it's not like it's not okay. It's, no, it's nothing we talk about. It's nothing anyone can share about it. And the only reason I'm talking about it right now is because I did some serious work on myself. I couldn't talk about it for a year because I would just melt down. So that was happening. Then there was the traumatic experience of being told for like four months, hey, if you move around a lot, you could die. So don't do that. <laughs> so just keep that in the back of your mind all the time that if you pop this blood vessel, you're just gonna bleed out and possibly die. And then I didn't know if I was gonna have a job. And the whole thing was terrible. And I, my anxiety, nothing I did managed it. 
I tried to sleep a lot, it didn't help. I tried to knit and crochet all the time, it didn't help. I tried to read all the books and like follow all the Instagram posts and I tried meditation and I tried prayer and I literally got to the point where I, would, I could not sleep for months on end. I would wake up in the middle of the night just panicking. And I would say I've never had, I never had a full-blown panic attack like where the lights went dark and I couldn't function, but there were two or three times where I literally felt like something was sitting on my chest and I couldn't breathe. Luckily, I've had a lot of years of talking myself off a ledge. So this goes on for months. And finally, finally, I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Like, I can't even, I feel like I'm not even a functioning human anymore. Because I'll be, I'm spending all of my energy every single day managing my anxiety so that it doesn't get overwhelming. And definitely not dealing with grief, because I can't deal with more than one thing at a time. That's just too much work. And then I would go to sleep at night, and I couldn't stay asleep. And I couldn't go to sleep. And I would wake up and just be awake for hours. Like, and if you don't know that feeling, thank God. And pray that you don't, right? Because it, it's indescribable to be like, it's literally like sticking your finger in an electric socket. So I finally got some help and went to therapy. <laughs> and it was really hard work and really terrible. Like, not terrible in the sense that, because it helped, obviously, but terrible in the sense that when you talk to someone about what's bothering you, you have to face it. And you have to legitimately talk about it and share and think and go through that trauma. So now I can feel like I can talk about it. I feel like I have a handle. I feel like I have more coping mechanisms and more tools and more things to do. And this is the point of this. Because especially with my job situation, I felt like I couldn't be truthful. There was a part of me that I could not share with people because I knew it would cost me my job. And I have been, I was born in church. So I am really good. Like I have perfected the art of slapping a smile on my face and pretending like everything is fine. And if you've grown up in church, perhaps you know that. Everyone's like, how you doing, sister? And I'm like, you know, great, fine, blessed. I grew up in a little Pentecostal church, so the greeting was always like, God is good. All the time. And all the time, God is good. Or I'm blessed and highly favored. That's what you say. You aren't like, oh, actually, I'm literally imploding. <laughs> you don't tell that to people. And when there is any part of yourself that you cannot be honest about, when you are not being authentic, whether it's for a grief or a trauma, whether it's for part of who you are that you are having to hide, whether it's because of a safety issue that you're not sharing something about yourself because you don't think that you're gonna be received, Living a life that is incongruent with who you actually are and what you actually believe is not going to cause anything but conflict. And there will hit a point where you just can't do it anymore. And that's literally what happened in my job situation. There was a point where I was like, I cannot do this anymore. I believe this. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. I'm not going to minimize it. And I'm not gonna just not say something. I will accept the consequences because I can't continue pretending 
that I don't feel this way. I can't continue in this space where you think that I'm just like you and that I don't want a place that's inclusive for all people to explore faith. And if you hide parts of yourself, it will only serve to harm you. You. It doesn't hurt the other people around you. I mean, maybe it will if you're really close to them. But generally, it's going to eat you. It's not going to eat, like, if I'm hiding something, it doesn't, that doesn't, no skin off Amanda's back, right? Like, she's fine. But I'm the one who's over here in the middle of the night being like, like, I can't breathe. I don't know what's happening. I don't know how to fix this. And whenever I talk about mental health and I try to share, I try to be as open and honest as possible without putting the weight of my issues on someone else. I always get people, I mean, there's always people that are like, thank you for sharing. That was really helpful. And I think that's powerful. But I always hear from people, I don't know if you should have shared that. Because people won't think you're a strong leader. People won't think you're a strong person if you're that vulnerable, if you're that open, if you're that honest about what happened. And I will say, you do not need to share with everyone all the time. You don't want to turn into one of those people who's just like, oh, you're a person that I've met? Here's everything that's wrong in my life. Nobody likes those people, okay? We have a responsibility as humans and as people of faith to be careful and respectful and responsible about who we share with. It needs to be an appropriate time and it needs to be an appropriate person. And you never know what someone else is dealing with. So if you wanna share and it's not like a really close friend that you know you can share with at, all, at any time, perhaps it's a good idea to say, hey, I'm really struggling with something. Can I share it with you? And give that person an opportunity to say no because you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they're carrying. And they may say, honestly, I don't think I can take that right now. And we have to be okay with that. So like, we have to use some common sense and be like, okay, I'm not just gonna share my problems with someone I met walking down the street or in the grocery store and corner them and they're just backing away from me with a scared look in their face. However, I don't think any of us are doing that. <laughs> Hopefully we are responsible, normal human beings. Not being honest is incredibly harmful, especially when you're in any position of leadership or when, when people can see you. First of all, there's always power in saying me too. Like I guarantee you there's somebody in this room who when I talked about miscarriage was like, yep. There's somebody when I talked about anxiety who was like, yep. I know what you're talking about. It helps us to feel not alone. It helps us to feel more authentic and brave to be able to say, this is what's happening in my life, and maybe, it's, maybe I'm not crazy, maybe I'm not abnormal, maybe there's actually nothing wrong with me, it's just a thing that people experience and we can experience it together. One of the things we need to know more than anything is that we are not alone. And it's easy to say, like, okay, God is with me. And that's true, right? But who are the hands and feet of Jesus? We are. So I can say God is with me, but it really helps when I say God is with me and I have a brother or a sister or a person of faith next to me, or even not a person of faith, but someone who genuinely loves me as a human being, 
to say, I am with you. I'm here. We are not made to do this alone, any of this, like life, but especially hard things. We are communal animals. This is why we're here. If gathering wasn't important, whether it's in person or online, if gathering wasn't important, then we wouldn't do it. Then we wouldn't feel this need to be together. Not being honest creates completely unrealistic expectations for people, especially leaders. Sometimes I hear this, people will be like, oh my gosh, you're so strong. No, I am not. I am not. I promise you I am not. I just have a handle on how much I can handle before things start to implode. And I didn't always have a handle on things like that. Maybe I still don't. But I feel like I have a little bit better. I know what my boundaries are. For, this is just an example of a boundary. My phone goes on night mode from 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. every night. Like, if you're not my mom or my husband or my brother, like, you're not getting through. And people have been like, most people are okay with that, but some people are like, I can't believe. What if someone needs you? Like, what if they need me? I know that one of the biggest triggers for anxiety for me is a lack of sleep. I can't function as a human, any kind of reasonable human being if I can't sleep. So that is one thing. I feel like I'm always saying no to things. Always. And it makes me feel really bad sometimes. I'm like, oh, I don't. I really want to do that, but I'm sorry. I can't do that thing, whatever the thing is. It's not because I don't love you as a person or that I don't want to be there to support you. It's because I know how many things I can do in a week before I start to feel a little fried. And some weeks, you do them anyways. Some things are important. But as a baseline, I'm going to say, okay, so I can't do that because I can't show up for you the way that you need me to if I do it. And I certainly don't want to resent you for making me do something because I felt guilty when I could have just been honest to begin with and said, listen, I'm having a hard week. I haven't been sleeping well. I'm right here. So I don't think I can do that this week. Let's plan something for three weeks in the future where I have a little lead up time <laughs> and I know I could be prepared. So just because, everyone needs to remember this, just because you can do something does not mean you should. And I know like small business owners always have a problem with this. They're like, an opportunity has arisen. I must immediately say yes to every single thing. Like I must, if I'm a musician, I must immediately say yes to every single gig that opens up for me or there's not gonna be enough. There won't be enough money. There won't be enough gigs. There won't be enough. And we do this in everything in life, right? Like if someone wants to be in a relationship with us, sometimes we're like, well, I have to say yes because if I don't be in this relationship, then well, then I might be alone. And then what if I'm choking and I'm alone and no one's there to give me the Heimlich maneuver and I'll just die alone. <laughs> like, we just get into these spirals. Just because you can does not mean you should. Is it, does it match with your actual life? Does it match with your values? Can you do it without being resentful? Can you do it and show up and be fully present? And finally, the reason I think we all need to be a little more authentic and honest is because it makes you a bad leader. And I say that as a person who has not been honest and authentic at many a point in my life, and as a person who has worked 
for so many leaders, especially in the church, who absolutely refused to admit that they were struggling with anything. And this happens to everyone, no matter who's leading. But unfortunately, the majority of the time that I have experienced this, it has come from men. And I'm not trying to pick on men, it's simply that the majority of leadership positions, especially in the church, are filled by men. So of course, that is the problem. It's one of the things, one of the parts of our culture that really grinds on me on like a molecular level, <laughs> that we have this idea that being honest and being vulnerable will make us look weak, will make people doubt our abilities to lead, will make people completely unable to follow us for any reason. They'll be like, well, that person has anxiety, so I can never trust any decision that that person makes. No, it's simply false. It makes you lead from a place of fear. It makes people around you afraid to share their own struggles. And remember, I said at the beginning, we don't just dump on everyone all the time. There is a time and a place to share what is going on in your life. But if you never share, you're doing it alone. And if you even read the Bible a little bit, there is no point where it says, you get to do this alone. There is no point where it says, oh, you're a leader, you have to pretend everything is fine in your life all the time. It doesn't say that. So the question becomes, what do you do? What, do, what can you do if someone is like, hey, I have a thing, I'm dealing with something, I'm struggling with something, can I just share it with you? Will you help me carry this? Well, I can give you a list of things that you can't say. So we're just gonna go through a list of things that are completely unhelpful and harmful and that you should never say when someone is sharing something deep with you. Okay, everybody with me? Right. Number one, everything happens for a reason. Don't say this, okay? People said that to me, and I was like, yeah, is the reason because my body doesn't work and is trying to kill me? Is that the reason? Maybe the reason is just because the world sucks sometimes. And I understand that we're saying this from a place of what we mean is that God can use this pain. God can use this experience later down the road and you don't know who you can help with this. That's what we mean. But to the person hearing it in that moment, the reason is like, God's punishing me? Is that what you're saying? Or maybe the reason is just that things are chaotic. So don't say everything happens for a reason to anyone. Number two, time heals all wounds. Okay, so maybe it does. Also not helpful at all. The reason is maybe time has healed wounds for you. Or maybe it has deadened the pain a little bit, but it doesn't mean it will. And I think of grief, I saw a really interesting illustration of grief where it was in a shoebox and there was a giant... There's a button on one side of a shoebox and a giant ball. And at the beginning, the, every time something moves, the ball hits the button and it triggers it over and over and over. And over time, the ball gets smaller. But the button is still there. 
So just because it hasn't hit it in a while doesn't mean that it's not going to be completely overwhelming when it comes up. And I understand we say this because we want people to feel better. Time heals all wounds. Eventually it won't be this bad. That's what we're saying. And maybe that's true. Or maybe that's not true for that person. And it will always be difficult for them. Um, a statement such as, heaven or God needed another angel. When someone has lost someone. No. First of all, I don't know where we're getting the idea that we turn into angels when we go to heaven. That's not in the Bible. But also, God doesn't need us in heaven. God has us here, right? God is everywhere, in all, and through all, and through us. God doesn't need us to be in heaven. And what we mean is, we want this person to be in a better place. But it's just not a helpful thing to say. Uh, any statement that begins with at least. For example, at least it was early in your pregnancy. At least it was your grandmother and not your mother. At least that person lived a long life. Sure, but none of that diminishes the pain of what's happening to that person in that moment. Specifically in reference to babies, and children and losing children, please don't ever say you can always have another one. Now, first of all, you do not know if that's true. Um, but second of all, just because you can have another one does not take away the pain of losing this one. Another statement is, you should be done grieving by now. Or any kind of statement that puts a timeline on someone's grief. And I say something like this all the time. When we judge other people and how they're processing events, it's because we do not understand the magnitude of what God has spared us from and the magnitude of what that person is going through. And I pray, if you've said that, that you don't experience a situation where you can't stop grieving. Um, don't give people tough love. Don't say things like, you need to get over it. If it's been a year or two years and they're still being affected by this trauma that has happened, we don't get to put a timeline on other people. We just get to be there. Don't compare things to your own life. And I know we like to give advice, but like, for example, like you have X or you have depression or you have anxiety, me too, but I can still do life. That just makes that person feel really terrible. Great. Thank you for making me feel like a piece of crap who can't get out of bed in the morning. Because you can. And here's a few that are faith specific that I have heard because I've grown up in church. And I pray that we don't use them as a church body. Um, if you were really Christian, you wouldn't feel this way. We are never allowed to question someone else's relationship with God. That is not our job. Don't say Jesus is the answer. <laughs> While true, that is unhelpful. <laughs> You'd be like, I broke my leg. Jesus is the answer. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> my leg is still broken though. I don't know. Like unless God miraculously heals it, which of course can happen, but is rather rare in our society. 
Like, I don't know how that helps me process the fact that a bone is sticking out of my leg. This one, this one. Have you tried praying about it? Yes. <laughs> yes, I have tried praying about it, and I still feel very panicky. So how is that? Like, again, we're questioning some, whether someone has a relationship with God. If, a, if there's a person of faith who is struggling, I guarantee you they have tried praying about it. And maybe the, the answer is not them praying about it, but me praying with that person. Maybe the answer is us doing it together. Um, this one I heard, especially because I grew up in church, you should just take your thoughts captive. Okay, well, <laughs> um, doesn't really work that way if you're dealing with anxiety. You can't be like, all right, thought, I'm gonna need you to shut your face, get out of my head. It just doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And the last two, God won't give you more than you can handle. Just so you know, that is not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It does not say God won't give you more than you can handle. And if I am feeling overwhelmed by something, clearly, to me, that means I am not handling it. And finally, the one that I think is perhaps the most damaging is you just don't have enough faith. If you had more faith, God would heal you. If you have more faith, maybe you wouldn't need to be on medication for a chemical imbalance in your actual brain. If you had more faith. Don't say that. I have so many things I want to say about that one, but I'm not going to because it's going to make me really emotional and then we'll be here all day. <laughs> but I'm going to say something perhaps controversial. Faith is not a magic pill for your mental health. Faith does not automatically fix your mental health. Just because you have become a person of faith or you believe in Jesus or you're in church, that does not mean you are not going to have mental health struggles. It means you have an extra resource. You have people of faith, you have God, you have more tools to rely on. And you know underneath it all that you are not alone and that you have an opportunity for an abundant life and that God is on your side and it's gonna be all right. But it doesn't fix you like that. It means God then empowers you to do the work. So what do you say? Just say, I'm here. When someone shares something with you, just say, I'm here. And that sounds really hard. Just imagine, like think back to your childhood, Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore, like the most depressed animal slash character in the world. <sighs> Ooh, Eeyore. Did his friends ever say, Eeyore, you should cheer up? They said, no, hey Eeyore, we're so glad you're here. We're so happy we've included you. We wanna make sure you're included all the time. That's all you have to do is say, I'm here and I'm sorry, what can I do? And if all you need me to do is sit here and listen to you, that's all I'm gonna do. close with this. It is your responsibility to work on your mental health. 
I don't think I can say that strongly enough because we've spent our entire lives pushing it off and not taking it seriously and burying it and pretending it doesn't exist and ignoring it. And that has consequences because it means we're not living the most abundant life. It means we take our stuff out on our partners, our children, our families, people who report to us in our jobs. I wonder sometimes, especially now, because I'm growing a human, is it even possible to raise a generation of kids who don't have to deal with the theological and emotional baggage that we do because we were told so many times in our lives to pretend like it's not happening, to just slap a smile on your face. Is it possible for our kids in this church to grow up and not have to unlearn things because we have taught them how to hide and how to be unloving? I mean, the answer is yes, but only if we put in the work Mental health is a journey, it is not a destination. If you're struggling with anything, there is no point in your life where you're gonna be like, fixed, so shiny and new now. No, it's a journey. There will be points where you feel like you have a handle on it and there will be points where you don't. And both of those are fine. The more we can be true to ourselves, the more true we will be with other people. And that's where relationship comes from. I'm not interested in being in relationship with people where I have to lie. I've had enough of that in my life. I'm tired of it. Maybe you're tired of it. The more truthful we are, the more we can live a life full of joy, honesty, support, faith, hope, Love, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, and have a, true, a truly abundant life. So I could just keep talking forever, because this is my favorite subject of all time, but I will not. I will spare you. But we do have two more songs, um, and the last song is possibly one of my favorite songs of all time at the moment. But I just invite you, if you want to stand, sit, however you want to reflect on your life, just, I invite you to reflect. Where can you be more honest? Where can you be more open? Where can you invite someone to share and help you along the way? <laughs>